Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine and I'm here to discuss the horrors of the world, be it fiction or real. This week we are going very much real with an evil duo who terrorise the occupants of Perth, Australia. This is the story of the Moorehouse murders at the hands of David and Catherine Burney. be responsible for the rape and murder of four women and the rape and abduction of a fifth woman back in 1986. There is something a bit more shocking when it's a duo, a duo that consists of a man and a woman. The issue with a duo where one is a female is that sense of security. We saw it with Rose West when she and Fred West would go hunting for victims. We also saw it with Myra Hindley, who was part of the Moores murders, along with Ian Brady, another David Parker Ray and Cindy Hendy. The list just goes on. With women, we tend to feel safe, especially back in the 70s and 80s, a time where there was a lot of hitchhiking, waiting for buses, transport was not as reliable as it is now, plus it was a time when people didn't have mobile phones. Your phone now can be pinged to its last location, you can have where is my phone, it doesn't always work but there is a chance you can't be located. It was a time where there wasn't as much concern about going off with a female as there would be about males, a question that also seems to arise is, was the female a willing participant or was she forced into it by her male companion? From reading and watching the various documentaries on high profile cases such as the Moores murders or the West, there isn't a doubt in my mind that these women were willing participants. Whether or not they would have done anything if they hadn't met the evil Freds and Ians of this world, obviously not all Freds and Ians are evil, but for me it's beside the point. They did what they did and they're responsible for their part in it. So despite over history, we have seen women being capable of some of the most heinous crimes towards men, women and children. So why do we trust them? Women are often seen as more nurturing than men, the maternal figure. If a man murders, he does not get the same reaction that a woman would. We are shocked, horrified. How could they do that? Especially if it's done to another woman or even worse, a child. So in the case of the Burnies, do you believe Catherine was just as guilty as David? Or was she just taken along for the ride against her will? Catherine and David would meet at a very young age as they became neighbours. This meeting would be the start of a very long relationship of both friends and lovers and eventually become a relationship that would destroy the lives of not only the five young women, but of course anyone who knew them. David Burney was born February 16, 1951. He was the eldest of five children and grew up in a semi-rural suburb of Wattle Creek, which was east of Perth in Australia, to parents Johnny and Margaret Burney. David would not grow up in a loving home and was forever at the mercy of his mother. She was a cruel woman. She was an alcoholic and a very unkempt woman. She was physically and mentally abusive to her children. The father, on the other hand, he was a hard worker trying to provide for his family, but he struggled with back issues, but continued to work, continued to try, but unfortunately he wasn't around a lot. A local resident described how when she would see Margaret on the bus with her baby, the baby would be hungry, wet and not clean. And she would give the child to a fellow passenger and then for the rest of the journey, she would simply sit with her cigarettes, comets, comics and bad language until the unsuspecting passenger got off. 
When David's younger brother Jamie was born, things only got worse. The older children were expected to look after the baby, but they were never quick enough for Margaret. Once Jamie made the smallest of signs, they were meant to see to him instantly. But if they didn't get there quick enough, they would be beaten. One day, Jamie broke an item and David got beaten by his mother with a broomstick. There was also rumours of incest. His criminal career would start at a very young age. The family decided to move to another part of Perth in the 1960s. He would leave school by 15 and become an apprentice as a jockey. Being around horses was not ideal, as he would abuse them, and he soon moved on to also harming people. When he broke into an elderly lady's home, he was naked apart from a stocking covering his head, and he subjected her to a brutal rape. This was supposedly his first rape. His criminal career did not stop there. As an adolescent, he would be in and out of jail for misdemeanours and felonies. He also had an unhealthy obsession with pornography. David would go on to marry his wife, Kerry Burney in 1972 and they would have a daughter, Tanya. Tanya has publicly spoken out about her father and his murderous ways and it's actually stopped her from getting married herself and having a child. She is so scared that what he had could be genetic that she is given up on any chance of having a family of her own, which is really quite sad. Like probably many children of men and women who commit such acts, it can be hard to wrap your head around what they have done. Some serial killers can be so caring as parents to their children and even their partners. Tanya spoke of how she did have memories of a caring father and struggles to reconcile that he is actually what he was. She also fears even just simply getting into a relationship with a man because she's worried she will end up with someone like her father. The actions of what he did runs so deep, not for only his victims, but their families and his own family. Tanya has also expressed that she hopes Catherine is never released from prison, despite her being up for parole on several occasions. Catherine Burney was born Catherine Margaret Harrison on May 23, 1951, to Doreen and Harold. Unfortunately, Catherine's mother would die in childbirth when Catherine was only two years old. Her father, unable to cope, sent her to live with her maternal grandparents, but when she was 10, he wanted her back and managed to get sole custody. Catherine, like that of David, did not have the best start and was not liked by other children. They would not want to play with her and she became very isolated. By the age of 12, she would meet David and become close friends by the age of 14. They would then become a couple. This worried Catherine's father, as he would constantly ask her not to spend time with him as she kept getting into trouble with the police. But like that of most teenagers, you tell them to stop seeing each other and that only makes them more determined to keep the relationship going. Catherine too would go on to spend time in prison. In 1969, they were both 18 and were charged for breaking into a cafe and stealing a safe. David would spend nine months in prison for his crime, but Catherine, who was pregnant by another man at the time, got prob uh, probation. After David was released, it wasn't long before he and Catherine met up and began to commit more crimes. As a result, both were sent to jail and Catherine's child was taken off of her by the authorities. For Catherine, though, this could have been a chance for her to finally be free of David and go on to live a normal life. A probation officer managed to convince her that she would be better off without him, and she appeared to agree. So while this was not an ideal situation, it did afford her time to break away from the clutches of David. When Catherine left prison, she would work as a housekeeper for the McLaughlin family. There she would meet her first husband, Donald McLaughlin, at 21. Catherine would go on to have six more children with Donald, but unfortunately one would die in a car accident. Catherine never stopped longing for David, though, and wasn't overly happy in her marriage to Donald. 
showing how much she cared for her husband and family, Catherine would eventually abandon them all to go back to David, who was out of prison at this time. She even changed her name by deed poll to Bernie. Catherine was in fact seeing David while she was still with Donald. She simply phoned Donald one day to explain she would never be coming back as she is now with David and will be living with him. Living with David, Catherine would soon realise the full extent of his insatiable appetite for sex, but she was fully on board. David's brother James has even spoken of his brother's need for intercourse daily and sometimes more than once. He spoke of how Catherine and David temporarily broke up in 1984 and he would try and have sex with him. He would climb into his bed when he was asleep. James, who himself spent time in prison for sexual offences, was given Catherine as a birthday present for his 21st birthday. In 1985, David and Catherine would take it to the next level and this meant the brutal rape and murder of four young women and the abduction and brutal rape of another. They lived in a two-bedroom bungalow at 3 Morehouse Street in Willoughby. This address would be the home of the disturbing Morehouse murders. The home was not kept well, it was in dire need of a fresh coat of paint and the garden was overgrown. It was said to be the worst looking house on the street. This house would not only be unpleasant to look at, but for what went on inside. The first of the victims was a young woman, Mary Nielsen. Mary was only 22 years old at the time of her murder. She was at university studying psychology. She also worked part-time at a delicatessen to help fund her studies. On October 6, 1986, where Mary was responding to an ad from the Bernies to buy some tires, which was actually a real ad, what would happen to her would be unfathomable. David would force Mary to have sex with him while he held her at knife point. Catherine, a willing participant, did nothing to help Mary, but simply watched the whole thing. Once they were done with Mary within the house, they then took her to a remote location at Glen Eagle National Park. Unfortunately for Mary, her, her, her ordeal was not over. David would rape Mary once again. He knew after what he had done, he could not let her go and proceeded to murder her by strangulation using a nylon cord and then stabbed her. As if this wasn't enough, Mary was then mutilated and buried in a shallow grave. But apparently this first murder was not planned. The next victim was the youngest at only 15 years old, Susanna Candy. Susanna was hitchhiking and was unfortunate enough to be picked up by the Burnies on Stirling Highway. Susanna lived with her parents and siblings in Nedlands. She excelled as a student at Hollywood Senior High. When they had Susanna, the Burnies would use a tactic with her that they used with others where they would get their victims to call or write to the family in the aid to stop them from looking for them. Susanna's family did not believe what they had read when they received a letter and knew not all was right for Susanna, so they called the police to report her missing. Her ordeal started from the moment she was picked up, as soon as she got into the car. They tied her hands together while holding a knife to her. She was then taken back to Morehouse Street and chained to the bed and gagged. They then proceeded to rape her. David would start and Catherine would join in with the torturous ordeal as she knew this pleased David. Rather than take her to another location like they did with Mary, they tried to murder her in the home, again with a nylon cord. This brave young girl gave as good as she got as she fought back with such might that they eventually had to, to, had to sedate her with sleeping pills to calm her down. Unfortunately, once asleep, David got Catherine to murder her and this would prove her love for him and also she would have committed a murder and therefore less chance of ever backing out of these disgusting acts. Susanna would be buried near Mary 
When Catherine was asked why she was willing to murder, she simply said, because I wanted to see how strong I was within my inner self. I didn't feed a thing. It was like I was expected to. I was prepared to follow him to the end of the earth and do anything to see that his desires were satisfied. She was a female. Females hurt and destroy males. The third victim was taken on November 1st, 1986, 31-year-old Nolene Patterson. Nolene was an air hostess. Apparently, she knew them, so when she ran out of petrol, she felt safe taking help from them. But once she got into the car, all that would change. Like that of Susanna, she was restrained instantly. Once back at the Morehouse Street, David would repeatedly rape Nolene, and she was chained to the bed and gagged. The original plan was to murder her on the night she was taken, but this changed. She was kept for three days. While David was keeping Nolene against her will, there was something different for David about this one. He started growing attached to her even going so far as to have feelings for her. I'm not sure what those feelings were, but whatever they were, Catherine did soon pick up on this and she was not pleased at all. As a result, Catherine would give David an ultimatum that he would have to kill her or she would. David agreed and proceeded to force Nolene to take sleeping pills. Nolene was then strangled and taken to the forest and buried. She would not be buried next to Mary or Susanna, but kept away from them. Catherine, who had made it very clear she was not happy with how David was feeling towards Nolene, made her feelings clear when they were being buried. She would proceed to throw sand in Nolene's face, and apparently she took great pleasure in doing this. The next victim was 21-year-old Denise Brown. She was abducted on November 5, 1986. Denise was waiting for a bus. The Bernies pulled over on Sterling Highway to offer her a lift, and she accepted. Like the others, she was taken to the house, tied to the bed, and raped. Denise would only last a day until she was taken out to Wanaru Pine Plantation. But unfortunately for Denise, her ordeal was far from over. As they arrived at the plantation, it was still daylight. Not wanting to be seen with the body, David then stayed in the car where he raped Denise again. When darkness fell, he then dragged the young woman out of the car where she was again assaulted and stabbed in the neck at the same time. Unfortunately, it would become even worse for Denise. The Burnies believed that Denise was now deceased. They proceeded to dig a shallow grave and lay her down, but she bolted up and was still alive. He would then grab an axe, striking her twice in the head, and this then killed her, and she was then buried. The final girl the Burnies would take would be the only one to survive. Kate Moore was only 17 when she was abducted. Kate would run from the home dressed in a pair of black leggings and a singlet, after trying a few homes to no avail, she ran crying into a grocery shop on November 10th, 1986, demanding the police record. She also told the store not to believe a woman if she came in claiming to be the girl's mother. Kate explained that she was taken back to the couple's home where she was tied to a bed and was sexually assaulted as a female watched. The next day, the man left the house and the woman untied her so she could call her family to say she was okay. She told her family that she had become so drunk the night before she couldn't get home. They knew she was not a drinker and she hoped this meant they would begin searching for her. They didn't. On returning her to the bedroom to secure her, there was a knock at the door, which she went to answer without securing Kate. Kate was able to escape through an opened window. Luckily, the brave young girl was able to give a clear description of where the couple lived and this meant they could go and check out what Kate had said. When they arrived at the residence, David was not home and while Catherine admitted to recognising Kate, she refused to answer any more questions until her partner arrived back. 
When the police did finally get around to talking to David, he of course made out the young woman was a very willing participant, all was consensual and therefore he and Catherine had done nothing wrong. Thanks to the extreme bravery of this young woman, she would stop the reign of terror this couple had brought upon the residents of Perth, Australia. Kate has spoken of her ordeal. She spoke of how she was forced to take showers before and after the rapes, made to watch movies, dance, they gave her marijuana, and she remembered the mustard-coloured robe worn by David. She remembered being cold and chained to a bed. Kate was very smart despite the horrendous ordeal. She left clues, lipstick in the couch, her phone number on a slip of paper. She was also forced to take sleeping pills, but luckily she managed to not swallow them without being caught. These were then stuffed under the mattress. She knew if she took them, she would never wake up. Kate wanted people to know what happened to her if she was not to make it out alive. She asked them, are you going to rape me or kill me? To which she heard, we'll only rape you if you're good. Her testimony also shed light on the fact that Catherine was not innocent in all of this. Catherine was the puppeteer. Catherine gave the seal of approval as to whether David could, and I quote, you can have this one. If Catherine said, I've got the munchies, David had the all clear. The fact Kate got away would appear to be what Catherine actually wanted. After the murder of Denise Brown, she found that the brutality of it was just a bit too much, which seems like a strange thing to say as she was so involved in it all. Catherine went on to tell the police, I think I must have come to the decision that sooner or later there had to be an end to the rampage. I had reached the stage where I didn't know what to do. I suppose I came to the decision that I was prepared to give her a chance. I knew that it was a foregone conclusion that David would kill her and probably do it that night. I was just fed up with the killings. I thought if something did not happen soon, it would simply go on and never end. Deep and dark in the back of my mind was yet another fear. I had a great fear that I would have to look at another killing like that of Denise Brown, the girl he murdered with the axe. I wanted to avoid that at all costs. In the back of my mind, I had to come to the position where I really did not care if the girl escaped or not. When I found out that the girl had escaped, I felt a twinge of terror run down my spine. I thought to myself, David will be furious. What shall I tell him? When the couple were interrogated by the police, they apparently gave it up quite easily, excited by about what they had done and what they could show the police. Detective Sergeant Vinch Catch said in a joking manner to David, it's getting dark, we best get out a shovel and go dig them up. Bernie replied, okay, there are four of them. When the murders hit the news, a young woman came forward to say that she had been approached by the couple as they tried to entice her into their car. The young woman said she felt uneasy about the couple as she spotted a person laying in the back seat of the car unsure if it was a boy or a girl. It turned out that that was the body of Denise Brown who had been drugged and therefore passed out. She was able to give a description of the couple and her description was a perfect match for David and Catherine. It was clear that from Kate's description, the fact that they had owned up to do it with almost delight and now this witness that they had the people responsible for the brutal murders. There was no chance these two were going anywhere but prison. David pled guilty to four counts of murder, one count each for the abduction and rape. He asked why he pled guilty and he turned to the families of the victims and simply said, it's the least I can do. He was given four consecutive sentences to serve life in prison. Catherine, on being found sane and therefore fit to stand trial, was also given four consecutive sentences of life imprisonment by the Supreme Court of Western Australia. Due to the extreme brutality of this case, there was an uproar from the public who demanded the death penalty be reinstated. There was also outcry as the couple was seen being intimate in the dock as Catherine stroked David's hand. 
The death penalty was abolished in 1973 and in 2010 an act was passed that it could never be reinstated. As you can imagine, their relationship was examined and it was said by a psychiatrist that Catherine was basically under the evil spell of David, as it was, and I quote, the worst case of personality dependence I've ever seen in my career. When in prison, they would never see each other in person again, but this would not stop them from corresponding through letters. David would be sent to Fremantle Prison in Western Australia, where he would be subjected to multiple beatings, and he would also try to commit suicide. This prison would eventually shut down, and Bernie was moved to Corsarina Prison. The couple were never actually married, but this did not stop them from trying. They were also kept in the public eye by appearing in the papers. In 1990, David felt not being able to see Catherine or marry her was an infringement on his personal rights. Apparently, this was causing mental torture for the pair and contributing to suicidal attempts. In 1992, David had a brief stint of some form of freedom as he was taken out and driven about to see if he would admit to any more murders. He did not. In 1983, he had a personal computer removed from his cell. Firstly, how does he have a personal computer? This was found to have pornography on it. Catherine Burney's first husband would then pass away in 2000 and she thought she had some sort of right to attend the funeral. She was refused. Mr. Richard Court says, as far as I'm concerned, the Burneys have forfeited any rights for those types of privileges. What is frightening is the couple were eligible to apply for parole once they had served 20 years, but Justice Wallace had requested they never get out. David would, of course, take the coward's way out and commit suicide on October 7th, 2005, at the age of 54. Apparently, he was due in court over raping a fellow prisoner. He wouldn't take his punishment for the crimes he committed. Nobody would claim his body and he was cremated in secret. And this was, of course, at the taxpayer's expense. There was plenty of time for someone to claim him. In fact, it was said that Bernie lay there for a month. Realising it was very unlikely that anyone was going to come for him at that point, the decision was made to give him a basic but dignified service. This took place at Pinaru Cemetery, which lay north of Perth on November 21st, 2005. Catherine was said to be upset by the death of David, but in the last few years of, her, of his life, she had refused to reply to any of his letters that was sent her way. She is currently serving her sentence in Bandyup Prison for Women in North East Perth. Any attempts to go to David's funeral would have been turned down as she had once spat on the grave of one of her victims. Catherine has been trying to show the world that she is no longer a threat to society. She is a reformed woman. She is in, now in, she is the prison's librarian and appeared in a musical production of Nonsense. Not quite sure how this shows a person to be reformed. If anything, it sounds like she has quite a sweet gig while incarcerated. While some have argued she should be released, not all agree. Her son, Peter, has been very vocal about his feelings towards his mother. He believes she deserves to stay behind bars and would even be in favour for her receiving the death penalty, stating, I would party for a week. In fact, Kate Moir, the girl who survived the brutal attack by the hands of the Burnies, has found an ally in Peter, both fighting to change the law which regards to parole, so people like David and Catherine are never let out. Catherine has tried to make peace with her son, but when asked about her, he simply replies, hurry up and die quickly. And that is the horrific story of the Burnies. One has gone while the other is in prison, where hopefully she will stay. 
But now onto something nice, and that is my podcast recommendation. Like all my podcast recommendations, I make sure I listen to them. I am new to this podcast, but I'm glad I came across it. It is well produced, well researched, and the host is easy to listen to. And at one point, it turns out we lived about five minutes away from each other. Small world, who knew? But I will let him tell you for himself. Hi everyone, I'm Stuart Blues, the host of British Murders, a new true crime podcast which focuses exclusively on British murder cases and serial killers. The premise of British Murders is simple. Every Thursday I cover the story of a British murder case or a British serial killer. Yes, we have serial killers here too. Each season of the show is 10 episodes, typically focusing on lesser known British murderers, with a two-part special at the end of each season focusing on one of Britain's more notorious murderers. The format of British Murders is what I like to call bite-sized, as each episode strictly lasts between 15 and 30 minutes. If you're interested in learning about some of the UK's worst criminals, or you're looking to hear about some new cases that you haven't heard before, please check out British Murders, hosted by me, Stuart Blues. Available to stream now wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure you check out British Murders podcast and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Anyway, I'd like to say thank you for listening and don't forget to rate and review for me on iTunes. I uh, really do appreciate all the feedback, had some really nice comments. Thanks to all those who have promoted in some form. But if you want to check out more about what's going on behind the scenes, you can go to Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare podcast on Twitter and Letterboxd as a Nightmare Pod. You can email on onceuponanightmarepod at gmail.com and Facebook is Once Upon a Nightmare. So I'd just like to say thanks for listening and I will chat to you again very soon when I will be coming back with a horror film. 